0: Welcome to the Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast. I'm Paul Botts, the founder and CEO of Good Leadership, an executive coaching firm headquartered in Minneapolis, Minnesota. This morning, we produced a virtual broadcast of the Good Leadership Breakfast Series, a leadership development event that's now in its 12th year of programming. Today was our 91st episode. The pandemic forced us out of a ballroom and into a TV studio, and we're finding a way to make that fun. Because we're broadcasting, we had guests from all across the country and many people who are new to the Good Leadership Breakfast. Our mission is to spread goodness through good leaders because we've proven goodness pays. Goodness is when people thrive together in a culture of encouragement, accountability, and positive teamwork. Our niche in the coaching industry is focusing on the idea that good leadership is a team sport. Today's podcast expands on the conversation we shared with Megan Remark, CEO of Regents Hospital in St. Paul, Minnesota. We focused on the power of positive teamwork. Let's meet our speaker for today. Hey, Megan, uh, will you please just tell us the one-minute story about what is Regents Hospital?
1: Oh, well, thanks, Paul. Well, Regents Hospital is located in St. Paul, Minnesota, and we are a 510-bed, level one adult and pediatric trauma and burn center. So we can handle any healthcare problem that anyone has, Um, from traumas to elective surgeries Um, we do a significant amount of work in cancer care and heart disease and um, treating neuroscience issues like Parkinson's and um, dementia and we have a full-service emergency department and we also are so committed to um, reducing the stigma of mental health and we have a dedicated Um, inpatient mental health unit and a lot of surrounding outpatient mental health services. Well you are a part of the health partners network as well. I am I am I'm a senior leader at health partners I have been really blessed with a 25-year career so far at health partners and um, I'm responsible for um, five of our eight hospital and clinic campuses within the health partners organization.
0: So part of the conversation we had today is you talked a little bit about how you recharge your own batteries. It's been quite a year, hasn't it? It's been So what do you do for fun and how do you you recharge yourself?
1: Yeah. Well, I've really made it a priority during COVID to keep exercising. And and I will um, really look at how um, cold it can get um, and still have me go outside. So I've been really working on um, trying to get outside as much as possible. And I'll go outside even if it's zero out, just bundle up and take a walk. Um, so I've been doing a lot of uh, outdoor breathing <laughs> yeah. um, to rest and renew and restore and just get out by myself um, and then also take walk with friends. Um, but the other thing that I have found to be um, part of my kind of um, rejuvenation process is um, I have a lot of friends across the country. And um, so in addition, as I said on the podcast, um, as, I, as I was talking about singing mm-hmm. um, in my car. The other mm-hmm. thing that I've been doing is um, I've been uh, calling friends yeah. on my way home. Mm-hmm. So making some of those personal connections, mm-hmm. people who've known me for a long mm-hmm. period of time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that has really helped as well.
0: Well, um, I can tell you, I did a lot of dark, early morning walking, you know, on the frozen <laughs> lake, Bush <laughs> right. Lake, right by my house this year. I found that to be amazingly stimulating and I too have been calling my friends, yeah. yeah. So yeah. will you tell us what it was like running a hospital during the pandemic?
1: Uh, yeah, that's a, a, a really loaded question, Paul. Um, you know, all of us in the entire world have been living with the inconveniences at a minimum, but also the grief mm-hmm. um, and the tragedy of what uh, this last year has brought to all of us. And um, as caregivers, we have that additional burden of, um, we, have, uh, we have the, the additional burden of not just living through the pandemic, but really being there for others and um, putting our own um, work aside or our own problems at home aside and, um, and really rising above to be there for people in their greatest time of need. And um, the early days of the pandemic were probably the hardest. While we were learning how to safely take care of COVID patients, hmm and also learning how to safely protect our healthcare workers, those working directly with COVID patients and keeping them safe and and not having them get COVID-19. And after a few weeks, we felt much more comfortable in that space and our caregivers were just amazing through this entire process. Um, And then we all witnessed the murder of George Floyd. And um, I feel like that was probably the hardest month for us because um, our employees would say, gee, I'm finally feeling safe at work, and I'm not feeling safe at home, and um, and really, racial injustice is something we live with every day, and it doesn't go away like we're hoping the pandemic will go away. And so, I think that um, caused us really to understand that we were in the middle of two pandemics. You know, the pandemic of COVID and just the ongoing pandemic of um, of racial injustice.
0: Well, and when the George Floyd.
1: Uprising happened. That actually came in
0: the doors of the hospital, didn't it? Tell,
1: tell us a little bit
0: about what. How did you have to change the physical plant of the hospital to right. do all this?
1: Well, I would say we changed a lot of things physically and from a process perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about the fact that we have six thousand employees that work twenty-four hours a day at Regent's Hospital, and all of a sudden, everything that we knew was changing how we were um, able to or actually how we changed our visitor policy you know hospitals are are typically very open places and we Mm -hmm. want our families to be able to be there and waiting in the emergency room if someone's in our emergency department or visit someone who is gravely ill and is in the hospital a long time and um, our caregivers had to be the family in these cases because we weren't allowed to have any family in the waiting areas um, no one could be with someone as they were going into surgery. No one could visit someone who'd been in the in the um, inpatient unit for fifteen mm-hmm. or thirty or forty-five days. Mm-hmm. So um, that was, I think, that was a major um, challenge for our caregivers who had to both be there for them clinically, but also emotionally and and be their extended family. So, what
0: effect did that have in real ways on your staff?
1: Well, it actually it, it just added a lot of burden to the staff and. Um, You know, we talk a lot about change in leadership in general. Well, the pandemic made, change wasn't even a word that was describing the magnitude of what we were doing. We had um, hundreds of teams meeting every day to reinvent how we were providing Hmm. care. Um, reducing the number of times people had to go into a room, we did a lot of innovation, remote monitoring, mm-hmm. as an example. Trying to conserve um, our our PPE sure. because we had a, a worldwide shortage of masks, and really trying to figure out. How we can use the science mm-hmm. to really make sure we can keep people safe and have the supplies we needed to get mm-hmm. through the pandemic. So um, every single process and policy changed, and then it changed again, and then it changed again, God. and we're still going through that. So um, you know, it, it took us um, six or eight months to get up to a place where we were kind of in our our COVID nineteen normal, and now we're coming back out oh. of that and rechanging all of our processes again. So um, it was a pretty significant challenge for everybody.
0: So maybe the most obvious question is: Looking back at all this, yeah. how are you different today as a leader?
1: <laughs> uh, you know, for me personally, I'm I'm a lot more grateful, mm-hmm. and I'm a lot more patient, mm-hmm. and um, I feel like I'm leading through the lens of what's important and not just what's urgent. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, no matter what industry you're in, you're working with people. Who have a lot going on in their lives, both inside work and mm-hmm. outside of work, and um, and it's really the people that are the face of your business. And in healthcare, that's even more important. You know, it's the people, it's the team, mm-hmm. who take care of all of our patients. And um, so I think we've really, um, even more so than before, focused on um, on the health of our employees mm-hmm. and on their well-being. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I haven't said more. And um, I've said it more in the last three months than I have ever in my career of making sure people are taking time off yeah. and yeah. modeling that behavior yeah. and focusing on self-care yeah. and doing more every day to walk the talk about that. So as a leader, I've, I've really changed talking about what we're doing to how we're doing it.
0: Yeah, so the theme today is the power of positive teamwork. And mm-hmm. what struck me looking at that video is how all you've seen of these people that are eyes <laughs> And that's the eyes are the window into the soul, right? And I saw a spark in the eyes of the people that were photographed. Um, uh, So how would you, how do you go about leading your team? First of all, you have a very large team. We'd love to hear a little bit about that, but you know, how have you maintained that sense of positivity?
1: Yeah, you know, I am really impressed with how, the healthcare industry has shown up um, nationally and, and just then directly here in the state of Minnesota, really working together. Mm-hmm. And so our leaders have been modeling that that sense of teamwork. Um, all of us as as healthcare organizations in the state of Minnesota have collaborated. We were on calls every week. Um, if someone was being challenged by being full in one hospital, we were figuring out how to safely move them to another facility. So you know competitors became collaborators, and still that continues today. That's cool. So that's been amazing. Mm-hmm. I think the other piece is that um, what was a challenge for us, that we actually took on this challenge in a really positive way, was how do you lead with confidence when you as the leader are in unchartered territory? You know, typically, mm-hmm. as leaders, we um, are the ones initiating the change. We're the ones planning the change. We're the ones mm-hmm. trying to talk with our teams about the change. And here, COVID was an entirely new circumstance where I would wake up in the morning and there would be something new in my text message that we did not anticipate that was happening. And so as leaders, we were experiencing what oftentimes our teams experience Mm -hmm. when you're being confronted with something new or Mm -hmm. unexpected. And so um, I think that our leadership group really focused on how do we lead with confidence. Mm -hmm. And we took our communication to the next level. I'll never forget in the early days of COVID, there was no time to send a memo out. We actually sent people out, and we were communicating directly to the front lines in the moment the on the unit. So, you know, and it was real-time communication. And I think the big challenge is, is that we would have a caregiver work for two days, they would have two days off, they'd come back, and their entire unit had changed the process for how we were keeping people safe. And so, it took a lot of human communication, um, in addition to emails and text messages and huddle messages and communication teams supporting all we did. Um, but it really, it it really actually that that part of what we learned during COVID will definitely keep that visibility. Um, it's one thing to round; it's another when you're saying actively every day, where am I showing up for my team?
0: So uh, let me say back to you what I heard. Um, everything was so real and urgent that people were just operating in a mode of trying to help each other get stuff done. Even right. uh, giving up texting and emailing memos and stuff, and sending someone down the hall. That, that's amazing. It, it's got. Images in my head of almost like the MASH unit when we watch MASH <laughs> on the, the the television, right? Um, so there had to be moments when people were down. Mm-hmm. So how did what did you tap into inside of you to yeah. to help people stay positive?
1: Well, I think the biggest gift that COVID has personally given me is being more real with people. Um, sometimes you know the other end of that being confident in a crisis can sometimes during our worst days come across as you're not getting the pain and suffering we're going through. Mm -hmm. And so um, I felt for me um, it was such a relief to actually not try and protect people from how I was feeling and um, how relieved people were that I was also feeling stressed out and challenged by that and being able to share stories about you know, there's that classic, you know, oh, how are you today? Fine, everything's fine. Well, everything wasn't fine. (laughs) And so we really kept it real in that sense. Mm -hmm. And I think it was Mm -hmm. pretty freeing for me to say, you know, I'm struggling today. We're we're facing um, a 16 month pandemic and counting. You know, most crises, last 24, 48 hours, sometimes if you think of natural disasters, there may be several weeks or months, Um, but very few things top this in terms of running in crisis management for that long a period of time. And so um, for me, it was um, uh, saying what was immediately on my mind and actually being part of that human process of coping. And it was really freeing, really freeing.
0: So uh, I know you have a large team, it's 20 some. Yeah, and so you developed some success habits to keep this team you know, accountable and aligned and supporting each other. Any, anything come to mind you want to share?
1: Gosh, you know, um, we do have a large team uh, because healthcare is a huge team sport. You know, one of the things that um, we did a little analysis around how many people does a patient see when they are in a hospital bed. And if a patient stays four days, they will encounter over 100 healthcare workers. Wow. Um, in probably a hundred different roles. And so everything from phlebotomists and housekeepers and food service and nurses and doctors and social workers and administrators and nurse managers. So, and, so it is really pretty amazing. And yeah. so we have a large leadership team because we do a lot of things in hospitals mm-hmm. and we need that content mm-hmm. expertise. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think that the way that we've stayed together as a group is recognizing that every, every role is valued mm-hmm. and it's not just the nurses and doctors, that is uh, the team that's absolutely the go-to people for our patients and so many of us support that mm-hmm. group mm-hmm. Um, and make a difference. And so um, I think we've been really focused on recognizing how lucky we are to have meaningful work. And I feel like having meaningful work and having leaders who are drawn Mm -hmm. to being resilient and being able to take on the stress Mm -hmm. of doing that meaningful work. You know, so we bring the right people in, we recruit the right people, Mm -hmm. and you stay if you're committed to that mission Mm -hmm. and you're committed to giving of yourself. And so I think the mission itself really drives alignment. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel really, really grateful for that.
0: Well, one of the dangers of a large team is it's hard to make sure you have everyone's attention. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've learned to use this technique that we call healthy tension really well. How, mm-hmm. how has that worked in the, during this whole time period with your team?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, healthy tension, what I love about healthy tension is it's the Minnesota positive spin on how do you have hard conversations. <laughs> so, uh, mm-hmm. so um, for us, um, what it meant was bringing those hard conversations into our conversations. Um, and not doing the, the you know the meeting after the meeting oh, yeah. because mm-hmm. the meeting after the meeting is exhausting yep. you know so mm-hmm. why spend all of that time in the meeting not to discuss the real issues and then have a bunch of conversations outside it mm-hmm. splinters the group it creates factions and camps. And so um, we actually, through um, good leadership support and modeling, really talked about how do we put critical issues on the table mm-hmm. and do it respectfully mm-hmm. but directly. Mm-hmm. And so um, and so we use the word healthy tension a lot mm-hmm. when we say let's talk about what is gonna be a problem about what we're discussing, mm-hmm. or if you have concerns about it, what is it mm-hmm. that you have concerns about, let's get those on the table. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that has helped individual mm-hmm. relationships, one-on-one yeah. with folks, um, as well as mm-hmm. our whole team, um, be able to know that it's, it's acceptable to raise, um, you know, to be the devil's advocate, to raise concerns. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it's interesting how harmony actually is the enemy of high performance, right. and it's the tension that creates the attention so the bigger the room, the more tension you need. Mm-hmm. And not everybody can pull that off. But um, Well, it was lovely to hear from you here. We, mm-hmm. I know we have some questions that have been coming in from the audience. We'll get okay. to those here shortly. And so now let's circle back to uh, your life outside of work. Um, I know you have a passion for the great outdoors and doing mm-hmm. some things like that. Um, so, uh, tell us, Will you tell us about one of your favorite backpacking adventures with
1: your family? Oh gosh, yeah, sure. That could take a whole hour. Yeah. Um, we um, we love the Superior Hiking Trail, and we're big supporters of the Boundary Waters Canoe Area. Mm-hmm. And so, if you haven't been out mm-hmm. to either mm-hmm. one of those areas mm-hmm. in northern Minnesota, highly recommend it. And you and you don't have to be an expert to do it. Mm-hmm. So. Um, uh, our kids used to call it forced marches because we'd hike through the superior <laughs> hiking trails. Forced marches. Forced marches through the forest. <laughs> um, but um, one of the things that um, that I love the most is just the unexpected adventure of it and so one day we realized that um, because we tried to pack differently we were close to out of food and um, instead of making it a four-day hike we had to make it a three-day hike so we actually had to hike sixteen miles and We each had one granola bar for breakfast, and then we had to split the Snickers bar in the afternoon to hike 15 miles. So our kids have never let us forget that. The good news is we had enough water, so that wasn't a problem. Um, but, uh, but it's just some of those unexpected experiences that make things the most memorable. And um, what I also love is there's absolutely no technology in mm-hmm. the Superior Hiking mm-hmm. Trail. And that's, um, if you haven't heard of it, the Superior Hiking Trail is um, in northern Minnesota and it's 400 miles of beautiful um, hiking. And mm-hmm. you can do day trips and there's a lot of places that you can park your car and, and hike for the day, or you can go in and camp overnight. And mm-hmm. so, uh, so that was a memorable experience.
0: Well, for us. I, I need to get the Minnesota <laughs> Tourism Bureau to sponsor this break. <laughs> <laughs> at this point in the program, we acknowledged our sponsors and raised some money through a program we call the Bucket of Goodwill. It was facilitated by my sidekick at the breakfast, Chloe Radcliffe, who we also call our goodness barista. Her job is to whip up an online buzz about goodness during the breakfast. She also collected questions from the audience and we'll jump back in here.
1: Megan, can you talk a little bit more about your journey in becoming a leader and your leadership philosophy? Sure, so the journey of, of my, um, my own personal leadership journey is really focused on professional development. I, I feel like while we all come with a lot of, mm-hmm. um, Innate skills. Um, leadership has a lot of learnings um, mm-hmm. where you can learn to be a better leader. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I always feel bad for the group that I was. It was like my first manager position because I realized I was one of the youngest people in our in this clinic. And um, as I look back on it, I really actually had no idea what I was doing. So um, I think sometimes people think, particularly when you talk to executives, that they always knew. Um, it, was, it was just natural, you're just born with this ability. Yeah. And I, I just continue to tell people that, mm-hmm. no, this takes 30 years to figure out. Yeah. Um, and that you increasingly, if you work on yourself, there was a, a, a quote I heard early in my career that you should work on yourself harder than you work on your job. Mm-hmm. You know, And what is it that you bring to the table and how are you um, really inspiring others and facilitating work rather than it being about you as the leader itself.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. Well. It's been fun watching you grow, that's for sure. Well, thank you. Yeah, good.
1: Um, hey, Paul, I'm, I'm hearing that we have a question from an audience member in person, actually. Uh, we've got Rachel Uzlik from Twin Cities Orthopedics in the audience. Uh, so Rachel, let's get Rachel up to the mic and ready to ask her question to Megan Remark. Thank you, Megan. As a CEO, when did you first identify that you could be a CEO? And do you have any recommendations for someone who would want to follow in your footsteps? Oh, that's a great question. Gosh, you know, um, when I started in my career, I had no belief that I would ever be in this kind of role. I knew I wanted to make an impact. I knew I wanted to be a leader in healthcare. care. Um, but I think that over time, I realized what um, contributions I could make. And so um, I feel like, gosh, what's the best advice I give people? The, the best advice I really share with people is learn fast on a small stage. I think too many people want to come straight out of a graduate program or an undergraduate program and go right into that VP role or want a director role. And I feel like I really learned so much. I took um, a couple of laterals um, into manager positions. So I went from one manager position to another to learn different aspects of healthcare and really learned a lot about leadership and did trial and error and failed fast on a small stage. So that then as I increased my um, leadership scope, um, I was able to handle the changes of that increasing responsibility because I had that background. Um, so I would say, take your time and, uh, and don't be in such a hurry.
0: <laughs> yeah, so that's so fascinating because what we say it this way, that there's no straight line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it bounces all over the place and often it goes this way before it goes back up that way. Mm-hmm. And it's just, uh, and there will always be something, maybe not as dramatic as the pandemic, but there's always something. Mm-hmm. And if you're not prepared for that sort of at your core, then you, you don't make it through and thrive. So Megan, we had a bunch of additional questions that came in from the audience that we couldn't get to during the broadcast of The Breakfast. I've selected five that I think are reasonably interesting. And we'll add this Q&A to the Goodness Pays Leadership podcast. So, um, Many, many people asked about specific ways that you found for you personally to stay positive during just the onslaught of everything that happened over the last 18 months. How, how did you find that
1: positivity? Well, I definitely think it was a conscious choice. Um, I, uh, I have a little bit of a mental ritual when I drive in to work, that the minute I step out of the car, it is game on. So that's an intentional choice I make every single day. Um, Because I think it's important as the leader, while we all make mistakes and we want to be really compassionate with others and ourselves, um, in leadership positions you do have a responsibility to be on and to be there for others. Because if you're stressed out, you send that message even if you don't say it people can sense it they can feel you know you can feel when you talk to somebody if they're having a bad day Mm -hmm. or not and so um, I'm really fortunate in the um, from the perspective that I have just a a great supportive family And um, if I've had a bad day, I actually decompress with my husband. I don't share any specifics, but I just talk about, gee, I had a bad day, Mm -hmm. and here's where I could have helped make that better. But um, for me, um, the way in which I can stay positive is actually finding a safe space to air what's negatively Mm -hmm. bothering me, Mm -hmm. um, which is why I also appreciate and I really value and encourage leaders at any level to think about getting a coach. Mm-hmm. because it's the one place where you can talk about work issues in confidence and um, where, where the coach is focused on you and your success and mm-hmm. so much of our leadership time is spent really outwardly focused on others.
0: Well you met one of our clients here today this yeah. morning and yeah. uh, that happens to be another CEO who was running his entire enterprise out of one of the spare bedrooms in his house oh, <coughs> for hard. the last year and a half and this idea that when he hit the top stair <clears throat> mm-hmm. on the way upstairs to work that he hit, was game on for him. And so very similar. It's, it's not the first time I've heard that. Um, so Here's another question from Shelley, who's a Regents Hospital employee. She said, uh, I find you to be a fantastic leader in person. Can you talk just a little more about your journey and what are some of the steps along the way that really led to how you shaped your leadership philosophy?
1: Gosh, that's a great question. Um, you know... When I first started working in healthcare, care, um, I learned very quickly that you needed to focus on the people more than the work. And I learned the hard way by um, early in my career, I tried to follow all the rules. And I wanted everybody else to follow all the rules. And so it was all about what was right and wrong, what was acceptable not acceptable. Um, and I wasn't in the lens of coaching, I was through, working through the lens of telling. Um, and so I thought leadership was telling. And, um, and I lost some folks along the way. You know, I had um, employees early in my first manager job that came up to me and said, I've worked here for 25 years and you just got here six months ago. And we didn't reinvent healthcare the minute you walked in the door. ouch. <laughs> so you know, it was really humbling. I actually that my first three years as a clinic manager, um, I would never want anyone else to go through, and I committed to actually helping first-time leaders not have the experience I had where I felt super isolated. I was afraid to talk about my failures. Um, I, uh, I was not doing well with my team. and um, it took me almost three years to, Earn their respect mm-hmm. because I was learning on the job and I was the least experienced person there and the leader of that one location. So that was super humbling and um, I had a lot of sleepless nights because I just had no idea what I was supposed to do to turn it around mm-hmm. or how to correct negative behavior or how to lead through the lens of no one wakes up in the morning wanting to make a mistake, mm-hmm. you know, and I had no idea how to change a culture. So for me, it was, I moved from being very tactical. Um, to really recognizing that this is a people business. Um, but that took a lot of time. And, and I think it's important for people to know that um, that senior leaders had a rocky road along the way. It wasn't all sunshine and green fields and we make mm-hmm. it look really easy through mm-hmm. conversations like mm-hmm. this. It, it's really hard work and you make a lot of mistakes along the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, I almost want to go back and apologize to those 40 yeah. people yeah. I was yeah. first leading. And so, um, from there, what I recognized is, I started thinking about what things really brought me joy about mm-hmm. the middle of my career when I was a director. Yeah. And um, and I realized how much I loved working with physicians and working with really smart healthcare providers and actually gave myself a break. I, I moved from feeling like I had all the answers to, to then recognizing I just need to ask the right questions mm-hmm. and that it's, leadership is all about facilitating. Mm-hmm. It's not, again, it's not about telling. Um, and actually that was a big stress reliever pivot point for me yep. was to say, no one expects you to have all the answers. They just expect you to realize the problems we're facing and then how do we help teams mm-hmm. create their own solution? And that sounds really easy to say, it's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's something that I've continued to work on mm-hmm. Um, and then I would say the last, last component um, of my journey that was really a pivot point for me is 95% of the time what I just said applies, that it's all about facilitation. Mm-hmm. But there is 5% of being uh, a leader where you need to take a stand when you're hearing a lot of other voices mm-hmm. and people are telling you to do five different things to solve a problem and the problem is big enough that impacts the culture and the Mm -hmm. direction and the mission of your organization where you need to take a stand and set the tone and make a call. Mm -hmm. And I've realized that, um, I've realized when those moments are upon me and I step into that space and then it relieves everybody's stress because, there's a direction, Mm -hmm. and that swirling too long Mm -hmm. causes way too much stress and way too much chaos. And um, so as a leader, you only get to pick a couple things Mm -hmm. that you know are really important. Um, And for me at Regents Hospital, it was doubling down on safety. Got it. And being a highly reliable hospital. Mm -hmm. And I would say that combined with my passion around moving us to an anti-racist organization, I think those are, are the three things that I'm saying are what I hope are my legacy, safety, high reliability, and equity. And you don't get a list that lasts. There's not a list of 10 things. Mm -hmm. So that gives you hopefully a little bit of insight into my leadership. I also think a nice
0: bridge to the next question. There's another CEO that listens in, and his name is Craig Thielen. And um, he said all organizations have gone through massive amounts of change due to COVID. So what can be done to systemically keep the positive parts of all these things Mm -hmm. that we've learned to deal with?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, Our leadership team has been talking a lot about this. I think all leadership teams Mm -hmm. in the world have been talking about what is that new normal. Mm -hmm. Um, We have recognized that um, we cannot keep the pace of change that COVID has required, um, but we do want to keep some of the urgency Mm -hmm. and we want to keep some of the innovation. Sure. You know, I think sometimes when you're not under this level of stress, you make up a lot of excuses for why you don't think big. Mm-hmm. You know, well, there's people that don't aren't going to like my answer, or mm-hmm. we aren't going to get buy-in from a certain segment of our employee population. And COVID, that all went out the window. Yeah. Um, and so, how do you keep that innovative spirit at a reasonable pace? Is really what we're trying. Mm-hmm. What we're trying to remember, um, because too many of of our teams would really like to just go back to how it used to be yeah. and kind of settle back in. And we all know, as organizations, that the world has changed. We're yeah. doing a lot more in healthcare through yeah. a digital environment. Yep. Um, we will still do a lot of face-to-face, but we're gonna have to pivot permanently yeah. to respond to um, you know, consumers' needs. So, yeah, well, um,
0: that's, that's very well said. Um, uh, Liz, uh, another employee, uh, said healthcare is seeing huge numbers of workforce leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, due to risk, stress, home conflicts and things like that. Uh, what are your strategies for keeping it positive while we're attempting to hire more people?
1: Yeah, um, I think your culture drives a lot of mm-hmm. your recruitment, your retention, the longevity mm-hmm. of, of your coworkers. workers um, We're trying to keep it positive um, by making it more personal mm-hmm. and, um, and actively talking about the fact that we know how taxing this work is, um, and um, providing outlets Mm -hmm. for people to be able to reach out in whatever way they want. So we have peer coaching available. Mm -hmm. We have um, resiliency spaces. We've had managers create quiet rooms up on the unit that used to be family rooms, frankly. Um, And so we've been trying to do that old adage of seven ways, seven times to try and figure out what is is inspiring and motivating. Mm -hmm. Mm We're, um, within Health Partners, we're doing a summer of art of how have you made it through the pandemic and allowing employees to express themselves um, through art and share that art with um, colleagues. So, um, but I think the other thing we're doing is um, we're taking appreciation to the next level. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot, I talk a lot about no one says please stop appreciating yeah. you so much. Yeah. I I've, I've heard it enough. Yeah, the old deal yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. And uh, and so we're we're trying to find new ways um, to appreciate people and giving our managers freedom to do some unique things, to have a meeting outside. We yeah. never have meetings outside. Um, to be able to have a meeting while walking. Mm-hmm. Um, and those may sound really simple, but we hadn't done them yeah, before. That's right. So um, so that's a little bit about how we're trying to. Well,
0: there is a theory that this has all caused us to really rethink our values and that people will actually flock to places where they think they're working with purpose and that they're mm-hmm. that they're, uh, they're making their life count. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's probably good news for your industry in the long run. The short term is still tricky, I know. Yeah. So uh, one last question that keeps this kind of um, light. You you talked in the broadcast of The Breakfast about loving to sing along in the car yes. Yeah. on your way out. Uh, um, home or to work. So uh, so w- what do you listen to these days and what's your favorite song to sing out loud to in the car?
1: Oh gosh. Okay. So, um, well, in general, I love um, female singers and songwriters who have really smart lyrics. And so actually I really love as I, if I am able to know a song that has a whole complicated set of lyrics, it makes me feel very strong. <laughs> um, and so uh, during COVID actually the last amazingly fun thing we did before everything shut down was my husband and I went to a Brandy Carlisle concert in Minneapolis. And so I've been a little addicted to Brandy Carlile mm-hmm. and um, one of my favorite songs from her is Hold Out Your Hand. Mm-hmm. And love that song and I can just shout that from the top of the rooftops That'll be car. a whole other podcast. We'll yeah, ask you to sing it for us. Yeah, I know. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, she has to sing it with me because okay. I am a horrible okay. singer. Okay. Um, but then also I've been listening to a lot of um, uh, Marin Morris. I think that's how you say her name, Marin Morris. She's a country mm-hmm. western singer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I do have to have a shout out to, um, I am addicted to the Hamilton oh, soundtrack. Yeah. And they're... Um, is a is an actor um, who has done some spin-off songs um, following Hamilton, but it's not based on the Hamilton theme at all. But his name is Anthony Ramos, and uh, and he's he's just terrific. He has a song out called Stop, and it's all about stop and enjoy the journey and um, get all those things out of your head. And so I actually listened to that on the way here today.
0: Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so I I think you're actually. Uh, helping the recording industry sell a few albums today, right. which is awesome. Right, well,
1: particularly up-and-comers. <laughs> yeah. Um, so i um, really excited about uh, Anthony's prospects for success. So there's one question
0: we've been asking all the speakers that have come through the Good Leadership Breakfast, and that is, so um, goodness pays, but how do you know for sure that goodness pays for you mm-hmm.
1: as a leader? Well, I know goodness pays for sure because it brings out the best in all of us and it gets positive results and for me as a leader I'm a better leader because I'm leading through the lens of good intent and by doing that I think myself and our leadership team is giving our all of our colleagues, the confidence to try and accomplish things that people thought were not possible. Mm -hmm. And in the pandemic, we saw that every day. We saw direct caregivers rising above and innovating and leading with goodness. And leadership can either be a positive halo impact to that or people do it despite you. Mm -hmm. And so I I think there's an opportunity to really be a part of that positive momentum and the leaders set the tone.
0: So as I close, I wanna ask the question that I asked Megan here a little earlier. So how have you changed as a leader because of the events of the past year? People are always changing and growing. And it should seem obvious, but I really think we've all accelerated our growth because of the intensity of the past 18 months. It's not very different than how a college student changes after being away from home for a year, or an executive who returns home from overseas after an expatriate assignment. They, they come home feeling very different We simply can't go back to the way things were before. The best leaders, they choose to grow and change because they love what they're building with their teams. Does that describe you? We're having these growth conversations with all of the clients of good leadership. It's one of the many ways that makes the executive coaching field feel so rich and rewarding. And we just love sharing the success habits that we learn from others with you. So let's all make the promise to soak up the joys of the summers and to use that positivity to grow into good leaders who radiate goodness because the world needs us to spread goodness because goodness pays. We really appreciate your support and encouragement to keep this programming going. For information about the executive team coaching programs of Good Leadership, visit goodleadership.com. The next Good Leadership breakfast is 9 a.m. Central Time on Friday, September 17th, when our speaker will be Deshaun Drew, the president of Minnesota Public Radio. You can register free at goodleadership.com, and we'll record another one of these podcasts then. Goodbye for now.